Movie Wars. Episode 0045. Lethal Weapon 2 versus Bad Boys. This is some bad shit. Listen through and don't quit. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another outdoor version of the Movie Wars podcast, episode 0045. Well, if it isn't Miss Sigmund Fraud, this is Kyle. Mike, put it back in. I can't believe you took it out. This is Phil. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm getting too old for this shit. This is true. Yes. It's one of the most just iconic quotes in film history. We are doing Lethal Weapon 2 versus Bad Boys, and we are doing another outdoor edition. Although it's more work for Phil on the editing side, it's a nice night. We're smoking cigars. We haven't done this Had since our Batman it. matchup. We lost Drew for a little while there because once he started a lethal weapon, he could not stop. He went through, he went on a tear, and then I he went- I went on a bender, y'all. I did a buddy <laughs> cop tear. This I is was, the truth. I hit Midnight Run. I hit oh, all four awesome. lethal weapons. I hit Tango and Cash. I watched Bad Boys. Miami Vice, the 06 no random uh, Jamie Foxx, Colin Farrell wow. movie. I was just like tearing through buddy cop. I love that. So anyway, what great about that genre. Mark Wahlberg, Will Ferrell one? Other guys? Uh, other guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, what happened with the other guys was funny. You guys remember Due Date? Not a cop movie, yes, but, but dude, a similar a great... genre film. Like a, it's that's that same uh, format. Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. That's a good movie. Not a cop movie, but just that buddy dude, like, that's comedy. that's a really funny movie. It's really funny. Well, uh, it, make, it makes sense that you would love it because, you know, the buddy cop, I was researching this because I was just like, I kept thinking like, is that the origin of the buddy cop film? Is that the origin? And the truth is, is that, you know, really what film scholars think, the first actual buddy cop movie was Stray Dog, a Japanese film in 1949. And that kind of set the tone. But, you know, up until the 80s, the buddy cop film was really, you know, it wasn't as funny. Like, for example, In the Heat of the Night, 1967, it dealt with, like, racial tension in a southern town. And then you go on, you start to get a little more levity when you go on to Freebie and Bean, which has James Caan in it. Enforcer, even. the third, One of the Dirty Harry films even dabbled in buddy cop stuff. The first one isn't a buddy cop film, but eventually they get to the Enforcer, and he has a buddy, a rookie cop. So you're starting to see the little tendrils of the buddy cop themes and the tropes develop. And then, of course, you get 48 hours. That's the modern era beginner. Yes. Yeah, 48 hours. Then Beverly Hills Cop is, mm-hmm. is kind of that way. That was the one that started introducing the the comedy because um, I don't really think of comedy when I think of Dirty Harry. I mean, there's some funny stuff in there, but it's definitely not what it becomes. Eddie Murphy ends up adding that comedy, but Lethal Weapon, the way that it injects comedy and the way that it's it's so balanced with the dialogue, and it really started to maximize those tropes. You have the one rugged, kind of out of his mind, individualistic, not necessarily a clean guy. The other one's a family man, wears the suit, looking clean, and that kind of became the the yin and the yang of the buddy cop the trope. Salt and pepper, yep. And it's it's really it's really wonderful. But you know what's funny? I couldn't help but thinking I had to bring a question. Let's say we're a triad of a buddy cop. Like, what kind of buddy cops would we be? You know, the movie wars crew. <laughs> I had to ask. Who's going to be who? Who's the crazy one? Me? Yeah, so I'm probably the straight man. I'm mm-hmm. the Danny Glover type. You're probably the zany one. And and Phil is probably more like the Joe Pesci, like the third. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> take that. comes in and is louder and, and obscene for yeah. like no apparent reason. Yeah. Yeah, let me tell you guys about this girl I fucked last night. And you're like, <laughs> I don't want to hear that shit, okay, Phil. Okay, okay, okay. They fuck you in the drive-thru. They fuck you in the drive-thru. Pesci. Oh, my third favorite actor of all. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Oh, the bronchial. The uh, Denver bronchials are I with know. us. Too bad it wasn't a joke. Bronchial County, let's ride. <laughs> <laughs> 
Phil doesn't get it because he's not an NFL fan. But, you know, when you go to the Bad Boys, when you go to Bad Boys, Michael Bay, it's his directorial debut. It's kind of crazy that Bad Boys was his first film. And we're seeing those early tones, the explosions, the giant set pieces. One thing I'll say about Michael Bay that is just like consistent through all of his movies, and it's true with Bad Boys, this movie did not look almost 30 years old. There's a tone to movies from that time period. And, and like, I feel like in 2002-ish or 3-ish, there was like a shift in the look of films. Like you can see like this graininess in movies up until that point. And then mm. after that, everything's got this like kind of otherworldly clarity to it. But Michael Bay has always had that in his movies. Well, this was his first real at bat, right? Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is when you said that, I thought about that last scene, it's in like a hangar or something. Mm -hmm. Forgive me if I'm stepping on randos, but he only got paid a hundred grand to produce this or to direct this Michael movie. Bay? Really? Yeah. Because this was his first swing. Dude, he did an unbelievable job. hundred grand. The studio wanted to, him to cut that last scene in the hangar, that sick, you know, the, the scene that is Michael it's Bay. Like a 30 minute yeah, gunfight. Very fight. important yeah. scene where it's like a spectacle. They wanted to cut that for budget reasons and he paid for it out of pocket. 25 grand, he paid an extra 20. I guess they were going to have to cut it because they couldn't keep the people late or something like that. And he's like, I'll pay for it. That's how you do it. Because he, he, he knew like that, like this is my one, you know, yep. real shot because we, I don't want to get stuck in director hell or whatever, you know, or yeah. if you, you missed director nobody purgatory. Want, yeah. Nobody wants you to, to take the keys again. So that's, uh, I, it made yeah. me respect Michael Bay researching that made me respect him so much more. Cause he gets a lot of, he's kind of like the nickelback of movie directors. Dude. Like he gets a lot of shit, but the fact yeah. that he, he bet on himself and I thought that was really cool. And then full circle at the end of the story, once the movie made $60 million, he called the studio and said, can I get reimbursed for that 25 grand? And they obliged. Dude, that's, I thought that was a really sick story. That's awesome. It's and, amazing. And Michael Bay, I feel like gets a lot of undue shit for his films. Like he has definitely made some bad films. Like Pearl Harbor was a terrible movie. There were a few, there's a few movies he's made where like his style became the focus and then like everything else went out the window. But he made The Rock, which we but, covered yeah. and was awesome. Yeah. But for the most part, yeah, like Bad Boys, The Rock, Armageddon, Transformers. There's like a whole list of really, like, no, his movies are not going to go down in like the, the Hall of Cinema fame or whatever. Maybe the one Rock or two could. of them would. Yeah. I think The Rock could. But he he has a very distinct style. Michael Bay assumes that you're along for the ride from the beginning. There's very little hand-holding. There's very little explaining. He dives right into the relationships with people. You're kind of just in it from the beginning. Like, they're, they're quick cuts. The, the camera work is incredible. The way he colors the films is really unique. And, like, they all have this sheen to them that, like, you didn't really see prior to him coming on the scene and that you see a lot now that I don't think he gets a whole lot of credit for. But, like, I have a ton of respect for him as a filmmaker, and, you know, a lot of people don't, but he's easy to hate on because he, he does the big, dumb action thing bigger and better and dumber than most, but good God, is it fun. Well, and he makes a crap load of money. Yeah. I mean, his movies gross insane amounts of yeah, money. Yeah, they're world, fun to watch. Worldwide. Say what you want. And he's expensive. The world makes fun of him, but Hollywood, he only makes the movies that he wants to make because he's- The Island, that was one that flies under the radar. I mean, listen to this skid between 95 and 2001. All these films are with Jerry Bruckheimer. Bad Boys, The Rock, Armageddon, Pearl Harbor, and then in 03 is when he makes Bad Boys 2. But him and Bruckheimer teamed up, and when they teamed up during those movies, the set pieces, the explosions were immaculate. Yep. What's the other guy, Don, um, his co-producer in a lot of those well, movies? Well, Don Simpson, but he died Don in Simpson. 97. So they this was so it's interesting because he Simpson and Bruckheimer did Lethal Weapon 2, among many other movies. Then Simpson passed away, and then it became Bruckheimer. I know there's a funny rando about the origins of the script for Bad Boys. He's a big co 
cokehead, right? Big cokehead. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Really funny story. Die of a heart attack? Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. No, probably. It wouldn't shock yeah. me. What are our impressions here? Phil. Man, I think I kind of gave my impression on Bad Boys already. I had actually never seen either of these movies. I thought I had seen Bad Boys before, but as I was watching it, I realized that I definitely had not seen it. I loved Bad Boys. Like, some of the storytelling was a little weird, but, like, the dynamic between Martin Lawrence and Will Smith was just a lot of fun. The one thing I love about Michael Bay films is just the act of watching them, like looking at them. They're a joy to look at, and this was no exception. Like, it looked like millions of dollars, and it felt that way. It felt and looked expensive, and I love that in a, in a film. That's um, crazy that you say that because it was a $9 million budget. Yeah. Nine. Dude, that's, I mean, that just well, goes to show. it was technically 19, but apparently there was, I did some research on this. There was like, this script bounced around Hollywood like mm -hmm. sev for several years. And so like <clears throat> the stu one studio sold it to the studio that made it for like 3 million. And then there were some other expenses. But by the time it got down to just making the movie itself, it was only 9 million bucks, which is crazy. It's yeah. such a good looking movie for $9 million. And then it made like, I mean, a, a ton more than that. Yeah, and to quote one of my favorite uh, franchises of all time, you know, it's not the the car, it's the driver. Like, yes. it just goes to show that any any usable budget in the right hands is going to look incredible. And you see that across all forms of media. Like, you can have a, a movie with a $150 million budget and it sucks. Or you get a $9 million budget and it looks like they spent $150 million on it. So yeah. that's what I, I mean, other than the fact that it was like a really fun story and the, the lead guys were great and it was just a cool movie to watch, I just love the sheen that Michael Bay puts mm -hmm. on his stuff. Sure, I'll get smoked on Reddit for that, but uh, fuck off. <laughs> and Lethal Weapon, I watched the Lethal Weapon 1 first for the first time. Loved that movie. It, like, was not anything that I was expecting, and it was so damn good. And then Lethal Weapon 2 was even better somehow. Like, those were so great. The And the buddy cop thing with Danny Glover and, and Mel Gibson was, the dynamic was just so good and so believable. Like, because, you know, hatred and, and love are like, they ride a fine line. And, and in the first movie, Danny Glover couldn't be rid of this guy faster, and by the second movie, they're basically family. It, mm. It's just so cool to see that dynamic. These were such great movies. Yeah, man, I had such a blast watching these movies, just like Phil said, I started with Lethal Weapon because we had kicked around matching up Lethal Weapon with Bad Boys. And I love Lethal Weapon. I thought it was so much fun, right? I don't know. You believe Danny Glover and Mel Gibson. Like, you just believe, you buy that whole thing. Like, mm. whatever the sparks that are sizzling off the screen and every scene they're in just works. But then I watched Lethal Weapon 2 and I was, like, floored. I was just like, this movie is so much fun. Well, so I watched Lethal Weapon 1, then I watched Bad Boys. I was like, okay, they're sort of similar. I get that. But I really liked Lethal Weapon, so I was like, I gotta go watch Lethal Weapon 2. Watch the weapon too and I was like okay this feels way more like bad boys it's a very similar because movie. it's you know bad boys these partners have been together for years right so they're like they're friends and they you know they've worked together for a while in lethal weapon they're like it's the classic buddy cop dynamic where they're thrown together but in lethal weapon 2 they had been together for several years and there was some family you know yeah you got the stable family guy and the kind of renegade yeah, dude just, who kind of pops in for breakfast yes, and meals exactly. like exactly yeah. basically Danny Glover's family basically adopted you know Mel yeah. Gibson and I just thought it was such a better matchup, so I'm so glad that we're pairing those two up. But you know, they're they're similar. Like that one set in L.A., one set in Miami. You know, both kind of like exotic, you know, sexy, warm cities. You know, similarly colored and all that. You know, they're both chasing drugs. Basically, drug crime is is the crux of both of these movies. Mm, the crime of choice. Um, obviously, both movies are attempting to balance like action and comedy, and you know, one better than the other. I'll just we'll, we'll get to that. Agreed. I just thought they were just a great 
great time. Both of them have their flaws. Let's not get carried away and like they're not fantastic movies from a cinema perspective. But in terms of just an audience making popcorn and watching movies, I had a blast with them both, specifically Lethal Weapon 2. Joe Pesci, dude. <laughs> he yeah. stole the show. He's amazing. So good. I was crying in like half the scenes he was in. But anyway, I'm stoked we're doing these. Well, I got stoked at how stoked you got when you told me you were going on a tear through all those movies. I really did. I love it when you do I that. I watched both Beverly Cop movies. I was just like so yeah. invested. Yeah, I mean, you know, I had a, I had a Drew moment because you remember a couple weeks ago you and I were talking and you're like, I just realized I'm a Willem Dafoe fan. Like, you kind of like had that realization. I just kind of realized I'm a Mel Gibson fan. I mean, you can say whatever you want. We all know about his personal hey, life now. and his accolades. You're whatever. not allowed to like him. Uh, his craziness outside of it. But, you know, I'm a big Mad Max fan. And what I thought, yeah. like, I love all the Mad Max films. And what made me laugh is, is like, I think he's more mad in Lethal Weapon than he is in Mad Max. He is truly unhinged. Dude, the scene with him getting out of the straight jacket, like that was some serious crazy people shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Dude, he plays he's that like, part so well. Well, I uh, dislocated my shoulder once and now I can do it whenever I want. And he yeah. just pops that thing out of the socket anyway. And part Dude. of me can't help but feel that like the reason he's easy, so so organic with the way he portrays it is because he's a little he's a little off his rocker in real life and I think on the screen he's totally. he easily is just like, wow, that guy's kind of off his rocker totally. a little bit. Yeah. And of course, he, you know, like let's just get this out there. He He's said and done some horrible things and he has, oh, yes. he, I don't know what he's like right now, but in the past he had a drinking problem and people got some stuff on him that was not flattering and it went mm -hmm. out and what happened happened. So yeah. we acknowledge all that, but I think it's okay to kind of like disconnect from all of that mm -hmm. and go back to the eighties and enjoy something great that he made. Well, totally I had a blast. We mentioned this in the, I, I mentioned, not we, I mentioned this in the last episode uh, as it pertained to Harvey, Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein. Yes, the man is an undeniable scumbag. Like, yes, he did really, really fucked up stuff. You can't really rewrite history as, as it pertains to what they have done that's really great. And just as Harvey Weinstein's responsible for like some of the most iconic films ever made, especially over the last like 30 plus years, it's the same with Mel Gibson. I mean, he made some incredible, He, I think in the uh, Braveheart episode, we went through his tear that he went on where yeah. he made just one fucking blockbuster mm -hmm. after another. The Patriot. And, it's and like then he started directing. Braveheart, yeah, I mean, What Women Want was a great rom-com. So really was. He's not going to be in any of those movies, I don't think, anymore. Then he directed Passion of the Christ, Apocalypto. Tequila Sunrise. He had a lot of what I'm sure are regrettable moments where he'd said and did some terrible shit. Yeah. But he also made a lot of really great films. Yeah. Those two things can coexist. So I realized that I just like Mel Gibson. I just, I like that he's kind of naturally a little bit off his rocker. And I was thinking the the entire time, I would love to hear you guys respond to this. Watching Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 2, I was like, I feel like Danny Glover is who I'm going to be when I get old. Especially the scene where they're watching the condom commercial when he doesn't know <laughs> Dude, his daughter. Great scene. It's that one of the best scene. scenes ever. And I love it when when it's like, we learned that in human development. He goes, Trish, human development, what? He's just so old and out of touch. <laughs> and he's just so like, he has no idea. Like, I feel like that's me now. Like I, when I get old, Dude. that's all. Trish, human development, what? What's crazy is he's not even that old. He's yeah. like, what, 52? He's playing like 10 or 15 years older than he actually was. He's just so was. crotchety. Yeah. But it really made me love Danny Glover, that mm -hmm. whole series. And I again, I, I've watched all four of them. I love that whole freaking, mm -hmm. what's a, it's not a 
trilogy. What's the what's quadrilogy? Four? Quadrilogy. I'm a, such a fan, <laughs> and I can't well, wait for five. five. Has been in the whims. Whenever you know Has Mel Gibson really? gets mm-hmm. kind of uncanceled because isn't it Danny happened. Glover like 85 now? No, that's the thing. He was so young. He was only like 40 when he did Lethal Weapon. No way. So he's like, yeah, I mean, he's older. He's probably what late 60s, 70s. 70s. Yeah. When I interviewed Mick Rogers, uh, Mel Gibson stuntman, he told me he was gearing up to do five, but then it got put in development hell, and then Mel Gibson had something. Are we allowed and, to say that? Yeah, he did. I mean, it's on the. He, that's all he could tell me. I asked him more questions. I can't tell you anything else. I was like, yeah, okay. that's fair. Well, and it's on IMDb in production. It's bit like it. Rumors, okay. rumors are flying around on that yeah. for a long time. And then you had Joe Pesci, my third favorite actor of all time. And you, you and I were talking about this, Drew. I love how Pesci can just do any movie. You know, he does Home Alone, amazing. Leave the Weapon too. And then he's in one of the greatest films ever made, Goodfellas. And he's just he just captivates all every movie he's in. He just captivates me. Yeah, it's amazing what he can do, both in like in a serious role in a drama. He plays a gangster. He play, he sells that. But then he's got this, you know, my cousin Vinny, or he'll show up mm-hmm. in this movie or Home Alone or whatever. It's like. He's so freaking funny. He really is. One, one of my favorite scenes of of any movie of all time is when we talked about this in the My Cousin Vinny pod, but like when he came out in his underwear screaming about something. Like he's just so <laughs> funny. Yeah. He, he's like kind of a low-key great physical comedian. Like he does physical yes. comedy exceptionally well. Yeah. And I don't think he gets a lot of credit for that, but I mean, you really see that in Home Alone. He's one of those guys, he does it so well, you don't think about the fact that he's doing it well because it looks so damn good. Dude, Home yeah. Alone is all physical comedy. Yeah, when, it, when someone Someone makes it look that easy. Yeah, I totally agree. Snakes. I don't know no snakes. I love them, and you know, I I uh, I don't know what you two thought of this, but you know, continuing with my my you know, thoughts on the film. Sorry, like, we totally hijacked. No, your I love it. I love it. I'm just trying to remind the listener where we at, but no, I love it. Yeah, keep it going. These nuts, bitch. Don't impress me. It's really nuts. interesting to me, and Drew, you <laughs> Sorry. you overnight became the lethal weapon expert on the podcast. What did you think about this? I thought the it's really it's always interesting, right? Whenever they make a sequel to movie, you're like, okay, how are they going to pick up? Where are we going to find these characters? Like, what's happened in between one and two? And I think on paper, when you see that they're basically like brothers, and they're just like, not in love in a weird way, they're in like, they just love each other like brothers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he's been adopted into their family. Yes, yeah. and they pick up there. Like, he's coming over for dinner, and he's just like, well, yeah. It's that lack of hand-holding. I love the fact that they assume you've seen Lethal Weapon 1, and, and they assume that you can make the jump, that it's two years later, and their bond is strong. And you, you know? get the sense that they further forged their relationship in the meantime from the mm-hmm. last movie. Which yes, I love it, and that first scene's hilarious when uh, Glover is screaming at people. I love it when he's just yelling, and they're they're both yelling at all the cops at that at the very beginning after that chase, and they crash, and he's like, they're like both yelling across each other at all the other cops. I just love it. I'm like, I like this is how we're coming back into the franchise, and like they started it off with such a bang. So what was the, what you said? You're curious to get my thoughts. What were you? Uh, just on that transition, because you know, like that's where they picked up from the first one. Because, you know, the beginning of the first one, it's the very traditional trope. One's really rugged. One's clean family man. They hate each other. They don't get along. I don't, you know, I work alone, that whole thing. But then, and two, they're, they're family. And I love well, that. Well, and it's almost like Gibson's character has reinvigorated Glover's career. Because he was wanting to retire, right? Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm out, I'm out, I don't want to do this. Yeah, that's like, right. Because he was like, I'm close to retirement or something like that. Yeah, he kept like saying, that. I'm close yeah. to retirement. And in the first movie, he said, I'm old. I'm too old for this shit. That's yeah. what he kept saying. But in the second movie, he says, I'm getting too old for this shit. So it's like, he gave up on the idea of retiring and now he's like still in that place, but he doesn't want to leave because he loves his partner. You know, in Bad Boys, I, I always thought Bad Boys was interesting. I, I liked it every time I've seen it. I've actually seen it a 
lot. What I love about it is Martin Lawrence was considered one of the greatest comedians of all time. When he was doing his full-on thing, I think he was like on Def Jam. You hear stories like Joe Rogan talks about it. A lot of comedians that started going up during that time did not want to go up after Martin Lawrence because he would crush and kill so hard. He still does it today. He's actually gone back out and started doing open mics again in LA, Good. like the comedy store. And people are just like, I don't want to go up after him because there's no way. Like it's just, it's impossible to follow. And I mm. really think if you would have told me that he was going to star in a lot of films like Blue Streak and, and Bad Boys, then I was like, well, I don't know how his comedy would translate. I think it's so great. In fact, He's so good, man. I think he dwarves Will Smith and Bad Boys, like because they they both were comedic, you know. Because Fresh Prince, Mel, you know, Michael Bay, he liked Fresh Prince, and that's how he ended up getting to Will Smith. What a game changer for his career. Yeah, you know. But he's well, not but, funny. Yeah, this was Will's first outing. I mean, he had had one role, I think, in a I, can't, I forget what movie it was. He but he was a supporting cast. This was his first lead. Mm -hmm. So we're, mm -hmm. when we're talking about Bad Boys, we're talking about Michael Bay's first director. I mean, his directorial debut. And we're talking about Will Will Smith's first lead role. I mean, he's not the lead because to your point, Martin Lawrence was top build cast. Like he was billed above Will yeah. Smith, which is crazy because yeah. Will Smith came out and did Independence Day and Men in Black mm. and Wild West. And it was game over. Will Smith yeah. became the biggest actor in Hollywood. Yeah. But at the time, Martin Lawrence was like the guy. And if you put yourself in the shoes of a viewer in 95, when this came out, it's like Will Smith was known for being funny on Fresh Prince. I mean, there are emotional moments, but they're very low yeah. key. People were kind of like, why is he being so straight? Like, why is he not funny? You know, and everybody knew Martin Lawrence is funny, but I think a lot of people expected Smith to be funny, but he played it straight the whole time. And there were a lot of And he did a jokes. great job. He, he does a good job. But I thought I think, he was really good. He was, but I think at the time, it was very like, when you research the film, a lot of people were like, that's weird. Like, why is Will Smith not saying anything funny right now? Yeah, but it was huge for his career because people, it shifted him from like, he's the goofy, funny rapper teenage kid to, oh, this guy's kind of like sexy. Yeah, and, man. Like, cool. Like the whole- He's uh, rich. Like, it was a total like new facet of what he's capable yeah. of that what he had never done before and that I think that's it was those two things put together that catapulted him into where he's yeah. at. Yeah. And I once totally again agree. that's the sneaky genius I think of Michael Bay that yeah. he doesn't get credit for but the man knows. Was he involved in casting? Do we know that? Is that? I, oh yeah. yeah he handpicked hand Will Smith. Jeez dude. Yeah and there's a lot of casting stuff I have some randos on but yeah at the end of the day I love this genre and it kind of made me like want to get into buddy cops. It's just I just realized that it's one of my favorite formulas. It's, uh, you know, it's one of the oldest foundations of film going back to 1949. It's it's a fantastic, fantastic genre. Before we go to our randos, our, our listeners have spoken once again. Let's this, do it. This was crazy close. Lethal Weapon 2, 52%. Wow. Bad Boys, 48. For the first day of the poll, it was all bad boys. And then like the rest of our listeners woke up and we actually have a new a new friend that has reached out to me recently uh, named Becky. Apparently, Becky. Went through all, apparently went through all of our episodes randomly Rebecca. and just loves us. Thank you, Becky, for following us. And her response was just LW2. I love it. No, no descriptions like, hey, Lethal Weapon 2 is the winner. I love that. I dig that. Once again, Menord, our friend who loves to get, get oh, comments this guy. on I it. Like when he, we, I like when he hangs We with love us. him. I like you, Menord. Do more. Yes. He said, I can't look at <laughs> Will more Smith. Menor. Do, do more, Menord. That's your nickname now. I love it. I can't look at Will Smith movies the same anymore. And uh, Lethal Weapon 2 kind of redefined the buddy cop movies. I agree. You know, and at, <laughs> we've gone over this. <laughs> that's, as a, That's a tendril we kind of missed. Kind of like two embattled actors now in these movies. We got Will Smith who, you know, had his moment there at the Oscars or the whatever the hell oh, yeah. that was. Two canceled, uh, semi-canceled yeah, like, artists. And then, yeah. you know, we all know about Mel Gibson. So there you go. I agree. I mean, I, I feel this comment deeply because as a failed comedian who has, you know, never even sniffed the same stratosphere as Chris Rock, mm -hmm. uh, I did take it personally when Will Smith assaulted
assaulted him. So I agree. I don't know who this person is. You let assault me, one of us, you assault Let me get their name real us. quick. Who is this person? And then Chase said, this one's tough, but the winner for me is Lethal Weapon 2. There you go. Randos. We got lethal. We got some lethal randos here. So Shane Black, this is a really funny story. I guess Riggs was supposed to die in Lethal Weapon 2. He was, yeah. Originally, they wanted him to die, and Shane Black was writing this with a friend of his named Warren Murphy. And when he got to the end, he's like, I don't like that Riggs dies. And I guess Shane Black took that personally because he was quoted saying, oh, I failed everybody. I screwed up and I blew it. My writing sucks, is what Black said when yeah. his friend told him he didn't wow, like it. woe is me, Shane. Yeah, seriously, Shane. Go make another movie. Well, because of the fact that the script was mostly rejected, he didn't write for a long time because of that. Because of Lethal Weapon 2. The script was called something entirely different. You're thinking of Bad no, Boys. No, it's oh, not shoot. Bad Boys. It's You're Lethal right. Weapon. It was oh. called something totally different. Shane Black, he was so discouraged by how a lot of the key points in the script are taken by the studio that he just kind of gave up for a while. So later, Black reread the old script and he actually went back on it. He said, there's no question the draft of Lethal Weapon 2 that I wrote, Death and All is my best work. So he actually later revisited it and he actually thought it was still the best one. Even so. after the movie was... Huge success. A massive smash hit. Yeah, it's really, it's interesting. I wonder I wonder what motivates that going back and thinking because mm -hmm. it was very well received. So next, Rando, the carpenter that was working on the house extension or whatever for Murtaugh. Yeah, with the nail gun. And they're watching the condom commercial. So he actually improvised that. I thought she was great. She made me want to go out and buy rubbers right now. In the rehearsal, when they were rehearsing, Glover didn't know he was going to say that. And he actually spit sandwich out of his mouth during the <laughs> rehearsal when he said that because he wasn't expecting it. That's amazing. That That's one of my favorite scenes. Like, I can't... It's so good. As a dad of, of daughters, I couldn't help but think, like, my God, if I didn't know my daughter was in a condom commercial... We all have daughters. We, yeah. I put myself in that same spot. I was like, oh, my word. How Trish! Would I, how would I... Yeah, <laughs> dude. Now I just want to say Trish all the time when I'm, like, feeling distressed. I just want to say, Trish! Your, your wife's going to come in and be like, why do you keep yelling Trish? You know our daughter's name is not Trish, right? Lethal Weapon 2, baby. Speaking of condoms, the product placement deal, the maker's... Uh, Ramsey's condom paid $10,000 to showcase Dude, the that's product. that's a real company? Yep. It's Th called Ramsey's. <laughs> and it's spelled, isn't it spelled like the Egyptian? Ramsey's, yeah. E Egyptian, like, It's an amazing play Ramsey's. on words. Are you kidding me? Like, Ramsey's? Like, Seems like a classy condom company. That scene in the living room when they're watching that is pretty amazing. And then all the shit that they gave him at the department the next day with the bouquet full of condoms and stuff. Well, he called oh. it. He was like, you don't understand. There are going to be condoms in my coffee. <laughs> condoms on my desk. Yeah, He's like, that's how cops are. That tree of condoms was hilarious. And that scene when he gets that bouquet or whatever, and like he's uh, he's miffed at the, at first, and then he breaks out in laughter over it. In that moment, you believe just the shit that cops give each other, and he's annoyed totally. and he's frustrated, obviously, because his daughter is going through a thing and he's dealing with something, but also like he loves his boys <laughs> and he appreciates the the camaraderie. Know, yeah. Speaking of very young Dean Norris, Hank from Breaking yeah, Bad, who somehow doesn't very look young. any different than he did in just Breaking Bad. Just very thin. Yeah, a lot <clears> thinner than Breaking Bad. Hank. That was amazing. Schrader Brown. Breaking or uh, breaking bad randos. We're doing bad boys now. So you had hinted at this earlier. Originally, this is crazy. The original script was called Bulletproof Heart, and it was intended for Dana Carvey and John Lovitz from SNL. That wouldn't have worked. And this was during a time. Bulletproof Heart. That yeah. sounds terrible. That is lame as fuck. And apparently it was a Disney project. And a yeah, lot sounds of, right. Yeah. And at the time, SNL actors, because this is like kind of the tail end of the golden era. I, I would say the golden era of SNL started in the 70s, and then it kind of like started started tailing off in the late 90s, but this was still during, because Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, The Ladies Man, those movies were all coming out. Ladies um, Man. And then this is the 
Don Simpson. So Don Simpson was a co-writer for the script, basically, and he partnered to write the script for Bulletproof Hearts, and he was an insane cokehead. Oh, and Dana okay. Carvey and John Lovitz were still heavily considering being in the movie, but Simpson took him out for a crazy party in Las Vegas, and no one really knows the details, but apparently it was enough, and Dana Carvey said, that dude's a nutcase. I never want to see him again. I never want to work. Because Dana Carvey's a, a, you know, he's a comedian, but he's a very level-headed dude. He's very chill. In fact, he went on to do that family movie, uh, Master of Disguise. You know, he, that's that's kind of who he is. The master of and disguise. he did not like Cokehead Simpson taking him out for a party in Vegas to try to convince him. So that was the breaking the point. Well, he made the right call because that movie would not have been this movie. Yeah. And eventually, you know, this script, and it's hard to remember all the details, this script went through a lot. When they started to film the movie, they still had that script and everyone hated it. Michael Bay even has come out and said that it was a horrible script. And so they had Will Smith and they had Martin Lawrence still reading this bullet heart or bulletproof heart script that Dana and Carvey and John Lovitz didn't want to do and they're still working off of it. So they went out and like outsourced it $25,000 someone just to come in and do a massive rewrite on it because they were like, why are we still working? And even after they got that newly revised script after dropping 25K, they were still just like basically Bay, Lawrence and Smith would meet every day before filming. He would just tell them, I need you guys to improvise. Like this script is awful. Even after the rewrite, nobody loved the script. Michael Bay, dude, genius. It's amazing that it turned out like it did. It did feel a little scattered at times. It was, was a, yeah. A little sure. incoherent here and there. It, was, it didn't have a sh- strong sense of direction. And not in like a film direction. Like just in from the script standpoint, it didn't like know exactly what kind of movie it was. I personally think it's the Julie Mott storyline. Okay, so I love Tia Leone. Tia Leone, I don't know how you say her name. I'm a big fan of hers. I mm-hmm. loved her in Family Man, a couple other things. But she she was great. I think she was really good in this movie. But it seemed like there were times when it felt like she was in a, a slightly different movie than yeah. mm-hmm. the comedians in the room. What's the movie she did with Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey. Dick and Jane. Fun with Dick and Jane. I actually never saw that. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It kind of felt like she was in a different movie. I never I never was super bought in on her story because she's really just a witness, you know, and they, they don't just take her testimony. Then all of a sudden she's like with them all the time. And So wait, can we get into that a little bit? What's going on with her and her stripper friend? Yeah. They're, they're call girls. Is she? I don't think she's a call girl, but the call girl took her on the thing because it was like, oh, it's just going to be some dumb rich guy and like you're just going to, you know, just be there as eye candy or something like that. It yeah. wasn't like she was just supposed to be there and then like the shit went down and her call girl friend got murdered. Oh yeah. Like stripper, they, they all stripper. did it. From, prostitute. One remember, is a prostitute. Yeah. They all did Escorts, it for Mike Lowry. Whatever. It was because Mike Lowry needed them to do it. So, but is Julie also a prostitute or a, uh, like an escort or is she just a friend? I think she's a friend of that girl or something like that because she didn't remember. She didn't know Mike Lowry. But why is she going to a party with an escort when she knows that she because must the, her really friend begged her to come friend. with her. Yeah, yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, I think, didn't she, yeah. I haven't watched it in a couple weeks, but didn't she want her, like, she's like, you'd be good at this, or kind of thought she'd be... Yeah, like, she brought her along, like, kind of as support, and then, you know, Okay, she got so shot I guess that's my point. We're all mm-hmm. kind of, like, yeah. barking around it's what weird, maybe, like... She wasn't a call their girl. Their roommates, call girl, she just really like her friend. She, I think like, she's what just is a friend. Like, I don't know. It was very vague. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. that lack of hand-holding for Michael Bay. He just and, lets yeah, him fill in the Yeah, somebody that was writing the script, if there was one person in charge, would have been like, no, we need to be clarify what's happening here. And the, it just was kind of a, a bowl of soup. So one thing that's wild is that before Will Smith, Arsenio Hall was the number one pick for that role. Really? Yep. And so uh, Ugh, I don't know uh, so producer one. Barry Jose- Josephson, that's a, it's hard to say, Josephson. Son Barry of Joseph. Josephson pushed for Arsenio Hall because they, they, he was the one that said, we want African-American lead. 
leads. Which, interesting side fact, this was the first huge African-American-led movie to do really well in Europe. So traditionally, really? traditionally African-American-lead films don't do well in Europe, but this one crushed in the box office in wow. Europe. Wow. Well, and even in the U.S., it was pretty impactful. But they picked the right guys. That's they the did. thing. I Arsenio think Arsenio Hall, Hall would have been, he would have been too polarizing <laughs> because he was a talk show host. Like, he wasn't... And he like, was kind people, of on his tail end, wasn't he? People liked him, but not like... I mean, Fresh Prince was a thing. Martin Lawrence mm. was obviously like one, one of the, the biggest, biggest comedians, comedians on the, the world. planet. Mm. So you get like this dude who's beloved from his television show and his music, and then, you know, one of the best comedians on the planet. Like, that's kind of a no-fail situation there. Yeah. And the reason Bay ended up going with, because though he was entertaining this idea of Hall, and then he caught an episode of Fresh Prince and decided, he's like, I want him. I know they looked at Wesley Snipes, which would have been... That would have been good. It would have worked, probably yeah. for the Will Smith role. Especially because Snipes is not a comedian. Snipes is really right. good at playing straight, but yep. it probably would have been very serious. Mm -hmm. Very serious. Well, and they looked at Fishburn too, which that would have been way more serious. Oh, yeah. I had that in my notes. I'm glad you remembered it because I forgot. Fishburn, which I love Lawrence Fishburn, but again, a much different actor. Larry Fishy. And no disrespect to Snipes or Fishburn, but they're not as cool or sexy as Will No, Smith. not at all. And I don't yeah. think as young at the time. I don't think so. I mean, Fishburn had already been in Apocalypse Now by this right, point. Right, right, right. Yeah. At when he was Larry Fishburn. He was already old enough to yeah, have changed Yeah, he was like, name. what, 12? On that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Michael Bay's mother actually made him clean up the film. Like, apparently there was, his mother was like, there's just too much profanity in this. And to appease her, he edited one scene and reduced the profanity in it just to appease his own mother because his mother was very critical of the yeah. amount of profanity. Mrs. Bay. Apparently she had never, obey Mrs. Bay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently she had not, was not familiar with Martin Lawrence's work. This is a good time to bring up another side, Randall, but I texted you guys about this. Martin Lawrence, I think, if not one of the few, one of the only actors to have his opening monologue for SNL canceled. So he had done, he did an opening monologue because like they always do on SNL and he, he went he off was, script, right? He was, he went off script and he was so crass that they cut it and they actually rolled B-roll that said, you know, we found this very offensive, which is why we're not showing Martin's introduction. So wow. it was just, when it, when they aired it, it was just the black B-roll screen with the words like the Star Wars yeah. cat type. Your friend Tia, Leon, is it Leone, right? It's either Tia or Taya. Taya. Leone. Leone. I, I've heard it pronounced so many ways. Yeah. She was knocked unconscious during filming. She stood on the wrong mark in a stunt man through an AK-47 and she was not oh, in her... Oh no! She wasn't in her right place and she acknowledges that. I was not in my right place. Hit her in the head. Michael Bay apparently freaked out on set because when she came to, she was sobbing. Oh no. She had no idea what happened. Poor girl. <laughs> that sucks. And you probably know this, Rando. I'd love to know if you have more color on this one. Michael Bay, it was only a $9 million film. It, it was actually 19, but something happened where they lost some money and so it ended up being like a $9 million budget. Well, because the studio had to buy it from Disney, I think, or it bounced around mm. studios and someone, they, had, they paid $3 million bucks just for the idea and the script. That's mm. how much wow. the, the studio believed in it. And so the high-speed chase, the explosion-laden film, they wouldn't approve it, so he literally wrote them. He said, how much is the scene? And so Michael Bay wrote him, a, the, wrote the studio a check for $25,000 and have his own bank account. I thought that was the end scene. Yeah, the ending. It's, it, it's a long... Oh, that's part of... It, it chases into yeah, that Yeah, it's a long yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. It's a chase, and then it's a shootout. That is a very long scene. But that scene made Michael Bay... Michael Bay, like yeah. that's kind of like his like his bread and butter. Because yeah. right when that happened, I'm like, I feel like I'm watching The Rock right now. So yeah, stroke that own check out of his own book. And then, like I said earlier, then he once it made sixty million dollars, he called the studio and asked for reimbursement. And they, <laughs> they said no problem. I love that. I was wondering when I read that, I was like, how did how did he afford that? He had a very successful career as a music video and commercial director. There yep. you go. So he was already fine. I guess he had it. Which is like, why yeah. that's why he does stylized things so well. Like yep. I mean, you look at the the club scene and the 
liquor store scene. It's all very just like stylized. Yes. I love it. Shall we read our rights? Yeah, read shall me we, those rights. Shall we? We have the, remi- the right to remain violent. The right. <laughs> the right to remain God. lethal and bad. You guys are making it so much better than what I have. Like, I love it Like that you have all this stuff. I just like, I liked these movies. So. I'm glad. Trust me. Like, I love hosting, but sometimes it's like nice just to be like, well, y'all got this. I love it. <laughs> I, yeah. I even did some research on Lethal Weapon 2. It's like the first time I've ever done any research for this podcast. <laughs> well, when you when sometimes a movie like it's just we talk about this all the time but like you don't see this like they made they tried to remake it as a show and they still couldn't capture it like it's just a specific time they just captured something in Lethal Weapon and it was just it's endearing it's funny like I want the camaraderie they have I want to be Murtaugh when I'm old like I'm just relating at every level you know well and the the family dynamic really grounded them and I think even with Bad Boys and this is one of the tendrils that we've talked about but like Martin Lawrence is that family man who wakes up you know with an erection and wants to have sex with his wife but she's like slaps it away and like the kids are coming the in kids come like, in That's like the whole th- just you know we're all married men we can all relate to yeah. like just like the kids are cock blocking and the wife and you know just like life happens yeah. and you just like that's very r- relatable yes and then it just cuts to like you know rich boy i guess like will smith who inherited money because why else would he have this like crazy apartment and this crazy yeah, beautiful car, even though he's a Porsche. cop and like it's just that dynamic of like Married guy with a family doesn't have that much much money to a rich guy who's single mm-hmm. and super cool and like mm-hmm. it's just sort of like it's the same with Lethal Weapon like they're just complete opposites but they're grounded and it's yep. great. Now's the time to get out that iPad if it's charging. It's over in the corner. It's charging. We're outside. Do, I, do iPads even work outside? Does it need some kind of power source or does the iPad use angel waves? Does it use UV rays? Does it use wind, solar? Is it carbon neutral? This iPad is way too under charge for this shit. Okay, okay, okay. Poor okay. Kyle, dude. He's he's struggling over there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, this cigar is... I, and I swear I'm over it. I sounds, was, it sounds like it. I was sick two weeks ago. I'm DB apps. Not if I thought way. I was contagious, I definitely wouldn't have come, I promise. I don't think you're contagious. You're definitely not over it, though. <laughs> As evidenced by the fact that you're I think dying it's a cigar. I actually was doing fine and I smoked. I'm sorry, dude. It's, it's probably because you're talking so much, so you're getting more smoke. Yeah. You know, like, I feel bad. I feel bad I'm coughing around you guys. No, please, dude. Top Bill Cast for Lethal weapon. Well, let's just keep it easy, right? Mel Gibson and Danny Glover versus Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. I think to at the core of Lethal Weapon is the chemistry between Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. You know, Offset, they became very good friends. Their chemistry, they talk about in special features about how their chemistry leaked into their personal lives and they became friends. They really love working together at shows. I don't think it's easy to sell two guys that have kind of that platonic bro love for each other. Like, it's not an easy sell, but these guys make it seem so natural. Like you said, it's very grounded. I think they sell it, and I think the dialogue is just written so well for them. Like, I love it. My quote, I the reason I picked that quote was because there are just little jokes written in the Lethal Weapon that didn't have to be there. Like, the if it isn't Sigmund Fraud. Like, it's, yeah. just, it's just a little line, but it's just a nice little touch. The stray jacket thing, the dislocated shoulder, there's just these little moments. And Mel Gibson and Glover sell them so well. I think Martin Lawrence overpowers an early dramatic Will Smith, and I think Will Smith does good here. And it's close, but I don't think you can beat Mel Gibson and Danny Glover here. What do you think, Filskis? Ah, uh, man, I actually go bad boys here because I really do 
think Will Smith did a pretty solid job, especially in his first. I mean, it was comedic, but he was like the straight man. And there was that one scene where he kind of loses it in the car when Martin Lawrence is driving. I think he's driving the Porsche. That was and, the funniest scene in the movie, by the yeah, way. Yeah, when he's sitting over in the passenger seat and he kind of has that moment where he, he goes off, basically says that everybody thinks I'm some kind of fuck boy because I have a ton of money, but he's like, I could do anything and I choose to do this. Like, I want to be here. You can't say that for the other guys. And he like just goes off and sells that whole thing that like, yeah, I might be rich, but that doesn't take away the fact that I'm a serious cop and I want to be here. And it's like, I bought all that. And I just personally, I, I loved the whole Martin Lawrence, Will Smith dynamic and really enjoyed the way that they played those characters in that film. And um, in, in spite of the fact that like Martin Lawrence is a pretty relentless comedian, I really enjoyed him because you could see he's he's trying to convince the Tail Leone character that, that he's Mike Lowry. And um, he just, he pulls out every trick in the book to keep that charade going, especially when she figures it out and starts kind of like trolling him a bit, being like, oh, that guy, that's got to be a hell of a man to, to keep a woman like that around. Like, or she's got to be a hell of a woman yeah. to keep a guy like this dude around. Like, he's so sexy going on and on. So like, and you know, he's laying in bed with her. Like, I'm so horny right now. Yeah, exactly. She's it, basically throwing my, herself at me right now. Yeah, man. I loved Martin Lawrence, the way he played that. He played the family man really well, in spite of the fact that he's ridiculous. And the way he like, you know, resists the Taylor Leone's character. I thought it was, I, I really enjoyed their dynamic. And it's not even necessarily that I think that one duo was better than the other, but I personally really enjoyed the Martin Lawrence, Will Smith thing a lot. Like I love those two guys and especially that era in, in comedy in the nineties. That was just so good. I loved their dynamic in that film. Martin Lawrence and, and Will Smith were individually, I think they were both really solid. I thought yeah. Martin Lawrence was just Martin Lawrencing all over mm -hmm. the place. Like mm -hmm. he's funny. It, he is who he is. He's, he chews up the scene. Like it's just entertainment, you know, just pure entertainment value watching him do his thing. And Will Smith, like, it, you know, he, he was just solid. Like just, yeah. he, he's just a good actor. He is, yeah. yeah. So, and this was his first kind of way to like, hey, every, hey, world, I'm more than just a funny guy, like, or, or a, you know, a rapper or a comedian, like on a sitcom, I can act. What I a can, talent. Yeah, yeah, like, and he did a great job. But I think if we're talking about them as a unit, it's mm. impossible to get over Danny Glover and Mel Gibson's chemistry. They just, and they had an advantage because they had already, a, they had done an entire movie together. So mm. they had already laid the groundwork. So they're, if we're just comparing these two movies, which we are, they had a significant advantage. They had the same director. Yeah, so they had had some experience, but but even in the first one, like there, there was just sparks from the from the get go, and I think they were just hitting their prime in this movie together. And so for me, it's Lethal Weapon two easy. Yeah, it's so close, but I totally agree. I love that one to zero. It's getting lethal for bad boys already. How good can they get those boys? Best supporting cast. It's an iPhone today. It's not an iPad. I don't know what's happening. It's a much smaller version of an iPad, know, but you I'm can make phone calls. I'm squinting. It's a squint pad. It's interesting. Uh, Tia Leone did not get paid much for this movie. She's not even on there. She's not even on here, but. We're we're going to say Tia Leone, Joe Pesci. I guess I'll just read some of these names here. Patsy Kinsett, Joss Ackland, Derek O'Connor, Darlene Love, Tracy Wolf. I guess you have to throw in Dean Norris. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite that guys, Nestor Serrano, who's been in like every crime TV show known to man. And then on uh, Bad Boys, we got kind of a bunch of people that aren't names. Michael Talaferro, Emmanuel Zereb. I don't even want to try yeah. to guess the, the villain's name. Cheeky Carrera. Ayo. <laughs> 
that that word weird villain by the way Teresa Randall yeah this is uh Teresa Randall obviously played the wife mm-hmm. I mean th- to me this is like a layup one person that's not on this list though that that because they were still early was Michael Imperioli who played Christopher uh, Montesanto that's right in Sopranos which I'm rewatching right now so I'm getting a ton of who Joey he? he was like the guy that owned the car place he, he was like their snitch or whatever I get a lot of the supporting cast in these crossed up for some reason because like they're both buddy cop films and I watch them very close to each other and also yeah, and I watched like one. nine buddy cop movies in yeah. a week so, uh. <laughs> so you're like swimming in the details yeah Michael is really great I mean he plays a horrible dude uh, Christopher Montezani and Sopranos but he's so good so uh, Phil let's go to oh, you I was gonna go to you first oh okay I'll start Lethal Weapon I mean Tia Leone while in her own movie at oftentimes I don't think that's her fault I think she was she did what she could do with what she was handed and I thought she was just wonderfully charming I don't understand why the hell she wanted to go to this quote unquote party with her roommate who she knows is an escort. Maybe she's an escort. Maybe they're just good friends. Who the frick knows? They didn't say. But I thought she was really fun. She was a fun person to just kind of have in the background to babysit. I'm not sure why they couldn't just go down to the police station and have her. Well, I guess she didn't want to go to the police, right? Was that the problem? Yeah, she she was scared. She was scared out of her mind. Why can't she just go pick out the the guy, like look at some mugshots and, but she she wouldn't. So that that whole thing was a little confusing, but I think what she was given, she did a really good job. I thought she was really, you know, really uh, charming that scene mm-hmm. on the bed like she was yeah. kind of cu- she was kind of like figuring it she's out trolling him a bit yeah, yeah she was teasing him I thought that was really fun and she's just likable I think she's a she's a really you could tell she was going through a hard time and Joe Pesci stole the freaking show I thought yeah. he was so funny like he instantly I mean I've seen a lot of stuff he's done but this seeing him in this light made me just really want to see everything he's done yeah. like he's just so so talented and so dynamic and diverse and uh, bad boys I, I don't know it was fine it was that was, that was all about Will Smith and, and uh, Joey Pants is pretty good, but he's not he's not full on Joey Pants. Yeah, uh, there's not a lot else going on in that movie, but yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll say Lethal Weapon because I think Joe Pesci was just so mm-hmm. incredible. Phil's geese. Yeah, same. Lethal Weapon. Joe Pesci stole the show. He provided all the support you'll ever need in that movie, and uh, he definitely outshined any of the supporting cast in Bad Boys. Even the the woman who plays uh, the one they call Sigmund Fraud, she was not. She was so unbelievable. She comes in with like I I can't even describe it was it was so ridiculously cheesy what she would do in every scene she'd come in and be this like rule following regulator like you guys can't do that blah 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 like she was she was ridiculous yeah, she and not was believable good. That's at all true. yeah but um yeah Joe Pesci man he he stole the show in that so uh, for that reason and that reason alone I go lethal weapon for that reason I'm out no that's Michael Imperioli by the way he was in season two of uh, White Lotus yeah he's really great he was in bad he plays the dad in, in White Lotus and he's, oh, I didn't like season two very much. Well, he was in, and then he's most known for Sopranos. Mm-hmm. He's incredible in Sopranos. He's really, really good in Sopranos. Um, I also go Lethal Weapon. Listen, I, I actually was thinking the other day, I was, because I've been knee deep in re, my Sopranos rewatch because my favorite show probably ever. Duh. Sopranos? Yeah. I made that decision recently. It's just Over so, the Wire? Yeah, over. I think and Breaking so. Breaking Bad? It's Mad clo- Men? Yeah, it's close, but wow. it's, it's just so good. It's hard to explain. But, um, you know, because not just Michael Imperioli, but Joey Pantaleone. Is it P- Pantaleona? Pantaleone? Pantaleono, I think. 
Pantaleono. We, we call him Joey we call Pants. Him Joey Pants. Everyone calls him Joey Pants. He is incredible in he's The Sopranos. He's great in everything. He plays the most unlikable guy in The Sopranos, for even for a mobster. I mean, he's just he's just so good. I was thinking, he's been in over 150 films, and I think that's why they call him Joey Pants, because he's kind of just this every guy. Like, he just, every he just, movie needs their pants. And he was Cypher in The Matrix. I mean, he's just done all kinds of movies, And but he wasn't enough to hold it together for me. The reason I do go Lethal Weapon is like, yes, you're right, like the, the administrator... I can't remember if she was like the, the cop therapist or if she was the administrator, but I do buy into the precinct. It's not really elevated, but anytime they're in the police precinct, I feel like that kind of set the tone for buddy cop movies in the future. Like, this is how we act in the police precinct. We play mm. jokes. There was a lot of dynamic, and a lot of them, I don't even know their names. I do know Dean Norris, who does great, but I just- They're kind of one character. Yeah. Kind of like the family. None of the none of the fam, Danny Glover's family stands out, mm -hmm. but the, the household and the family as yes. a unit is a great character character, much like the department as a unit, none of those stand out except for maybe the, you know, Sigmund Fraud. She's funny, but the rest mm -hmm. of the, the department kind of is a character as well. They're all buddies. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I, I love it. I love the reality of that. So that's why I went Lethal Weapon 2. Speaking of Lethal Weapon 2, is this going to be death by lethal injection for bad boys here? It's two to zero early on. Is it looking grim for them? I don't know. Let's see. It's looking bad. It's looking bad. Boy, boys. Say. Boys, <laughs> it is looking bad. I, I don't know if you two picked up on this, but it feels like one of the tropes of, of a buddy cop movie is there's got to be inter-monologue music, and the score has to kind of always be the same. For Lethal Weapon, it's the harmonica and the blues guitar. Eric Clapton, baby. Yes, it was Clapton, which is amazing. One of my heroes. And then in uh, Bad Boys, it was the, the classical guitar, almost the Cubano Miami yeah, flair. Miami. Yes. Best in-between dialogue music score filler, whatever. I, I, I love it. They're both great. I fucking loved the score in Bad Boys. From the beginning with that little ditty that would right when they like do that kind of like the pano of the city of Miami thing at the beginning and that like kick ass little tune is going over it I was like in from that I was like dude this music rules it's a total yeah. vibe they they got the Miami thing right with that score and it felt really really good and cohesive and a part of that movie the whole time and to me that's like landslide for bad boys and for those that know Phil Phil is of Miami yeah I'm so. from there it, I have like a irrational affinity toward that town even though I haven't lived there in 20 some odd years. I, mm. I love it. And uh, any anything that does it and does it some justice, which I feel like Bad Boys mostly did, I, I was in and that I love the soundtrack in that film. Yeah, it has sexiness to it. It's great. Nylon strings. What do you think, Drew? Yeah, I'm torn on this one. Uh, if we were comparing the first Lethal Weapon, I actually think the music in the first one was better than Lethal Weapon 2. Mm -hmm. It was much more Clapton-y. I think he maybe was less involved in the second one, perhaps. I don't know. It seemed less like Eric was involved. But Yeah, I can I, tell I you from the be, guitar tone that I he was. I totally wrong. Okay, you're a guitar player. So yeah. You, you, yeah. Okay. You can definitely I, tell I'm glad that checks out. So I think I think I gotta go Bad Boys here too. Mm. There's some great hip-hop, old-school hip-hop moments. Even just pulling in the Bad Boys theme song kind of rooted it in the 90s. Even though, like, we're in 95, Bad Boys was popular like the show Cops, the show was more popular in the early 90s. So it seemed like that song was a little dated for maybe where this movie came into play. Also, I don't know why this movie's called Bad Boys. I'm not really... They're not bad. Yes, they're cops. They're bad. They're bad. I think it's the cop show. They're cops. Bad boys. Bad boys. Well, they're I, know, bad ass I get that. I get that. Yeah. Obviously, and they put the song in there and stuff. But like, I was expecting this movie for them to be like criminals or something. Yeah. You know, I thought it was going to be more like they're you know, ass boys. Training, they're quite good, like, like training day type cops. You know, like on the, they're actually criminals. Like, and then they were just like pretty good cops. I'm like, why are they? Well, they're not bad boys. They're good guys. But anyway, so you're saying at a bare minimum, should they they should have renamed this movie Good Decent, Boys, Decent Boys, yeah. or <laughs> Quality Boys, Quality Boys. 
But they're bad though. Amicable boys. Fucking bad. Yeah. Stand up citizen boys. Stand up yeah. citizen boys. Anything law, but bad. Law abiding so, family man. High quality boys. boys. We've gotten off, off topic of the music, but I still think Bad Boys music was more, I guess to Phil's point, it was more of a mm. just an aesthetic. It felt like a fresher vibe and aesthetic than Lethal Weapon, which had already done in the first movie mm. what it did more of in the second. You know, this could have been a tie for me. I loved both. Like I, I The reason I went Lethal Weapon is because I don't know why it worked. It kind of became another trope to have that kind of bluesy guitar, that harmonica kind of like, and I don't know why they went that route, but it works. And as a musician, I can't even tell you why it works. It just feels right. Like It does. I just yep. love that. It feels good. You know, I could have also gone Bad Boys because I do love the sexiness. I love that nylon string guitar. I love like it, it fits Miami and it fits so well. I just can't tell you why Lethal Weapon works so well. Like, why did they go that way? Like, why have Clapton come in? And it just works. But, you know, I could have honestly, it doesn't matter. I probably picked Lethal Weapon. You both got Bad Boys, but I I love them both. Bad Boys is becoming decent boys. They yeah. are now, it's now two to one. Okay, Bad Boys is in the hunt. It's in the hunt. Maybe it's the lethal injection for Lethal Weapon. Who would you rather babysit? This is another Drew. Drew, help me out with a ton of categories here because he is our resident buddy cop expert now. Who would you rather babysit? Leo Gatz or Julie Mott? If you're a cop and you got to protect somebody, who you want to babysit? <laughs> Are you going to me? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. I feel like Joe Pesci's character, you could answer this in one of two different ways, but mm -hmm. I'll just say he basically, what, what was going on on screen, we'll just answer it like what was happening on, on the screen. I think Joe Pesci was more of a loose cannon. They didn't know what to do with him. They didn't know what to expect with him. They actually didn't really like him very much. If you watch the following movies, like they kind of grow to love him and mm -hmm. involve him. They want to get him involved. But in two, they don't really like him and they don't want to deal with him. So I think Julie Mott would probably be easier to babysit. She's just mm -hmm. sort of like there mm -hmm. and she's scared, but she's mostly going to follow the rules. She's poking at him here and there and she's stealing a key here and there. But like mm -hmm. for the most part, I think she'd be easier to handle. Although my biggest nitpick in that movie is why the hell didn't they just tell her that Mike Lowry was Mike Lowry? Like, I get the initial, like, they had, she only wanted to talk to Mike, and Mike couldn't be there, so Marcus had to show yeah. up and do the mm -hmm. thing. I get that. But once you got her, why didn't they just say, yo, it's actually, I'm Marcus, we gotta go see Mike, but just chill. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that could have been an easy, like, that was an unnecessary thing that just carried on through mm -hmm. the movie, in my opinion. But I think she, to answer the question, I think she probably would have been an easier babysit. Yeah. So I'll go... I guess I'll go Bad Boys. Yeah, I, I, there are just so many weird little plot decisions in Bad Boys I don't get, and that's one of them. It's just like, yeah, I like. What I mean, it's part of the, the part of the comedy though, because if if they were to go out and say it, then a lot of the jokes go away, you know. And that's true, and there's some '90s humor, all the no homo jokes when he's like, she's in Mike's apartment, but she mm -hmm. thinks it's Marcus's, and like all the pictures oh, of, of Mike are in the thing, and she's like, "Is this your lover?" And she, he's like, "No, no, no, we just I put a picture of him up every time he saves my life. It's just it's a cop thing." It's the like, same thing for me. Yeah. There's, there's, there's some, yeah, that's a good point. There's some comedic moments built around that. Yeah. It just seemed like, oh my God, they're still lying to her. And why? What is in it for them to continue to lie for them? I guess that was the thing. I didn't get the motive. Dude, I totally forgot about the apartment scene when he first goes into Mike's apartment. And he's like, I designed this place. Why don't I know where all the light switches are? And then he trips over something. He's like, why do I keep tripping over shit that I know is there? <laughs> Yes, dude. Or when? Okay, yeah. Now I'm totally bought into why they kept it because it was so fucking funny, dude. When when Will Smith, I was. Gets there, I had to pause the movie. I was laughing so hard. He's like, "Why do I keep tripping over shit that I know is there?" So good. I go bad boys in this too because I think she'd be a far more enjoyable person to babysit. For that, Joe Pesci was an unhinged psycho. Like I don't want to babysit that guy. Fuck that shit, man. Yeah. Well, she's charming and she's kind of hot. Yeah. She's like, like it's I, fun to have a, a girl around, but like Joe Pesci, good lord. He like, keeps funny for us. 
but if I was in charge of him, I would not want to deal with that. Like, he's just divulging all these illegal things the whole time. Like, this is how money laundering works. Okay, okay, okay. And you're like, <laughs> okay, 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 yeah. okay, okay, okay. Dude, anytime if, when my kids get older and they ask me about money laundering, I'm just going to hit play on that scene <laughs> and let him explain money laundering. That, that was, was the so best. you in the driveway. <laughs> hey, fuck you in the drive-thru. That was a terrible look for Subway, by the way. Fuck you in the drive-thru. They were talking about Subway. Yeah, I also go that. I, as a lover of the movie, Pesci is incredible, and I prefer his character. But if I'm the cops babysitting, no you way. don't want the guy. That dude's running no. his mouth. He's constantly getting you worse trouble. Also, Julie proved to be more capable of defending yeah, herself. Yeah, she, she kind of like took up the took up arms there yeah. a bit and, and did her thing. Yeah. Leo offers no physical intimidation. No. He's not, which is funny because in Goodfellas, Joe Pesci was so freaking frightening and for being even yeah. short, he was still very frightening. In this, he was no. He was like, yeah, it was good. <laughs> when they wanted to capture him, they captured him. He didn't put up a fight. He yeah. was he's so funny, dude. And it's what one thing I loved about that whole thing was that Danny Glover's like six five or something. Like he, Danny Glover's a large man. And Leo, you know, he's so short. And so just in half the scenes, he's just like looking up, like <laughs> he's looking up like it's his dad or something half the time. It was just so funny. I do love the chemistry. I love it when they they're having lunch or breakfast with him or whatever, and he's explaining to him how the laundering works. Leo gets you what you want. I love it when Murtaugh's like, okay, okay. And he's kind of t- playing with them, going along. I, I, lo- I did love that chemistry. That was really fun. Danny Glover is 6'4", and he is 77 years old. Boom. That's a tall man. Big man. It is two to two. And like I said, Drew has come up with a bunch of great categories. I love this one. We got two great Joes. Maybe the best Joe of all time in Joe Pesci versus Joey Pants. Drew, you want to kick off? Who do you think? Which Joe? Well, we've already talked so much about Joe Pesci, so I'll go over to Pants for a minute. That scene of him shooting basketball, like shooting hoops, that was so entertaining. I don't know why just seeing him in like a normal environment, just shooting hoops, smoking. He was smoking a cigar, right? Shooting basketball. Like, what is happening? Why was he shooting hoops, smoking a cigar? Like, to me, that was such a funny scene. I still, I have to go Pesci because I'm like a Pesci lifer because of this movie. But I did think that that scene was awesome and very memorable. However, I'll go Lethal Weapon 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. L-Dub 2, same. Once again, Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci stole the show in that one. That was the better Joe, like hands down. I did love, though, that in the basketball shooting scene, Will Smith is just there and he's like completely oblivious. And Joey Pants and Martin Lawrence are just talking back and forth, like mm-hmm. while they're shooting hoops with a scar. Like, it's the most random thing ever. And Will Smith is just standing there, like, somebody want to tell me what the fuck is going yeah. on? Like, it's just a good, it's a good scene. And this is really tough. I mean, and, and I, and listen, I think Joe Pantoliano is such a great actor. And, and there's a reason why he's been hired over 150 times. But I think one of the things about him being a guy that can be in everything is he's often nondescript. And I don't think. I don't think he necessarily did anything that was super above and beyond. Like, I think he was great in Breaking Bad, or God, I keep saying Breaking Bad because Dean Norris. Bad and, Boys. And Bad Boys. Like, he's he's serviceable and he's good, but I've seen him be great. He's great in The mm. Sopranos as Ralph. I mean, mm. he is just unreal in that role. So I don't think he necessarily does the full thing here. Like, I even think his cipher in The Matrix, he was very memorable. He had a memorable look. He was like the backstabbing guy. Yeah. And, um, he, he definitely stuck out there. I don't necessarily think he sticks out here. Joe Pesci, you can't miss him. <laughs> He's like, I'm here. Joe Pesci's like, I am here. And he's like that in every movie. Um, it's it's weird to me. I think one of the reasons I was trying to think, like, why do I love Pesci so much? Why is he in my top five? I just think he's always super loud. He's always chewing up a ton of scene. But for whatever reason, it's never, you never get tired of it. You know, you're just like, give me more Pesci. Like, I watched this. I was like, you know, I didn't get enough Leo. Like, Leo was awesome. Give me more Leo. Yeah. Um, then so, you can watch three and four. And you get yep. more. And then you get even more. So I do go. But, you know, listen, I love, I love Joe 
Joey Pants, and, and there's a reason why he's been hired so many times. I love him. It is three to two, and I do have another category. If you're a criminal, I love this idea. If you're a criminal, which cop duo do you, do you fear the most? This is Ooh. a tough one. Oh, interesting. Flipping it on the other side. Yeah, if you're the criminal. Interesting. Obviously, we have some pretty high rank and file criminals here in both movies, but if you're like a, you know, casual dealer. At the risk of not giving this a lot of thought, because I'm just speaking off the cuff, first time I've heard this category. I think I would fear the Martin Lawrence, Will Smith duo the most because those guys got, they had a, a synchronization to their partnership out in the field that was pretty great. That opening scene where those guys try to carjack the Porsche and they like get into an argument solely for the purpose of distracting the dudes and then they take them both out. You could tell that they'd been working together for a long time and, and they kind of had like this shared brain of sorts. And uh, you know, then that that insanely violent end scene where, you know, they're, they're just taking dudes out left and right. I mean, I guess that happens a lot in Lethal Weapon also, mm. but there was a, a little bit more like synchronized badassery to the bad boys duo. Whereas like Riggs and Murtaugh they kind of bumbled a bit and, and it was part of the fun and part of the comedy of the, that film. But they weren't necessarily scary. They were really good at their jobs, but they weren't quite as terrifying to me as, as the Martin Lawrence, Will Smith duo. Love yeah. it. I don't even understand. What do you think, Drewskis? Well, I think the characters themselves answer this question, in my opinion, because Lethal Weapon villain didn't really care. I mean, his whole thing was, what did he say? Like, something immunity? Yeah, because he's immunity. a diplomat. Diplomatic immunity. Like, he clearly just did not fear those guys because he had the government standing in his corner. So yeah. he's like, you're not, you don't scare me. I got diplomatic immunity. Your immunity's he just been did, revoked. He couldn't care less. So he stood behind that kind of that wall and didn't really fear them even when he had chances to like have these guys killed they just end up in a fist fight because it was like you know I don't have to kill you I have immunity so mm, yeah he just I don't think he was much afraid of them whereas at bad boys I think there was just more uh, they were a greater threat I think, I don't know. I will say both of these randomly, one tendril we haven't discussed yet is both of these were progressive for the African-American community in Hollywood. Because mm -hmm. one, totally. one was like, you know, the apartheid stuff and like these are bad guys who stole drugs and all that stuff, but also they're racist. Like, and they're mm -hmm. out to just like get rid of totally. these racist bad guys. And then on the flip side, bad boys, you had two African-American leads for the first, really for the first time, you know, making a huge splash. So it's interesting that just that's side note, but I think I'll go, What? what how did you phrase the category? I always forget. If you're criminal, which duo do you fear the most? Which, so I think I go bad boys because they feared them more. Well, even Donner, so Donner actually, I read an interview with him, and I think he talks about it on the commentary for Lethal Weapon 1, when a casting director suggested Glover, his response was Buddy's Black. Like, and he actually talks about oh, it at the wow. time. Okay. At the time he's like, and he talks about it like regrettably that he had that response, but he never envisioned Murtaugh being a black guy. So. Yeah, no, it was not written. Uh, he just, Danny Glover got the part because they had the best chemistry. The only reason I would go Lethal Weapon 2, I agree with everything you said there's a professionality almost they have more sheen to them the bad boys like they're you can tell they have a lot of chemistry they've been in the field together and there is this inherent clunkiness to how Murtaugh and Riggs work together <laughs> but I think that's why it's scary because Riggs is so unhinged you never know what that dude's gonna do yes okay and yeah. sometimes it's really effective and sometimes it isn't yeah like, he's chasing cars on foot through like a city like the but do they nuts. know that it's him do they know that he is the lethal weapon so to speak like or does does the enemy know that this guy's unhinged and crazy? I don't know, I don't, but if you I don't, don't know, know and you're do. experiencing it, it's like, uh, what 
the fuck? This guy doesn't follow the law. Yeah. Which we haven't talked about his love interest at all. Mm-hmm. I thought she was great. We never mentioned her. Yeah. Oh, the, uh, the South African woman. consulate. The blonde yeah. girl. Yeah. It's interesting because you lump Pesci and Julie kind of into the same category. because they're But really, the two women, you know, is Julie and I forget her name. But they both yeah. found themselves kind of, they were both not involved, but neither of them wanted to be involved. But mm-hmm. then they found themselves kind of carried away in the story. And uh, anyway, I thought she was really good. Uh, Rika Van Den Haas, because he makes fun of her name. Her name is Rika. That was another heavy-handed plot point. We talked about some plot errors in Bad Boys, mm-hmm. but with Lethal Weapon, like, did we need to find out that these guys were the ones that killed his Vicky, his early wife, too? Yeah. That felt like an extra twist of the that, dagger. It was like, yeah. that's a stretch. That, that was feels a stretch. like a, to me a weird was retcon. A little bit of a, that was a stretch. Yeah. Like, it was kind of like, let's write that in, because that'll be an oh shit moment. But it didn't, it kind of didn't land for me. Yeah, yeah it, it didn't was, land it for was, me either. It was heavy hand. It was like you got to pick one. Either these are the guys that killed his original wife, or he falls in love with this girl and they kill her. But he falls in love with this girl, they kill her, and yeah. he find out they killed his. Fi- like it was like, whoa! I don't know. I go back and forth. I kind of like it because it adds to the drama and the twists yeah. and the turns. But also, like, I'm just, did we need it? I don't know. Well, I I think what proves your point is why it's so heavy handed. You know, for a fact, in the first one, they weren't writing that script and being like, by the way, later if we want to make a sequel, we're gonna have to blame this on the South America, the South African. They con- did put one apartheid, it said free apartheid or stop apart, something on the fridge. There was a sticker on the fridge. I don't know if you caught this, but in Lethal Weapon 1, there was an apartheid oh. reference on oh, the fridge. Oh, interesting. Really? Because his wife, I guess, was pretty, like, just the family, because it's an African-American family, and they were like, so they oh, had some stuff on the fridge. So yeah. they did plant those seeds, but uh, I don't know if they really earned that storyline. Eventually, yeah. we're going to blame this on the South African consulate. You know? <laughs> right. Well, on the diplomats. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, so th- that's why, I mean, I think, did you both pick Bad Boys, or what did you Jace. pick? Yeah. So I went Lethal Weapon 2 just because of the unhinged nature of rigs, but like totally fair. But no, great points across the board. It is tied. We are we're getting good at this. I think our last few matchups, right? Phil three to the, three. Yeah, it's three three. Wow. So that last means, two have come down to the last category. Yes. And this one, so here's an extra category I hadn't put on the card. And now that I'm looking at it, I actually love it. This category only makes sense between these two movies. It's a car category. Murtaugh station wagon versus Lowry's Porsche. Now, the only reason it makes sense in this world is that station wagon puts up with some shit. It does. <laughs> that is a tough ass. I mean, how are we pitting these against each other? Because, like, as two cars, like, there's an obvious pick, but to me, like, there was a lot of comedy around, like, this is my wife's new car, and then Riggs is like, it's still new, just because it got blown up, and then and then I loved how Danny Glover, like, took that concept to when the, the kid comes out, and he's like, this was mom's new car, and he's like, it's still a new car, <laughs> you know? Like, I thought that was so funny. And the that, reason I like this category, because they also made a point of it when they were on the radio, like, they were, like, talking about what was happening. Oh, like, yeah, he's in his wife's station wagon. I don't station know anything wagon. about that car. <laughs> that I just thing. love, I just love the balls, because, like, the, I think the temptation is the Porsche. Like, that's what you want your, well, that's yeah. what you want your protagonist in, but he's a family man, yeah. and he's in his new station wagon. I just love that they had the balls to go with that, and, like, yeah. and it's, it's all, to me, the station wagon had its own personality. It did. It really totally yeah, that's, did. This is a tough one it for is. me, because, Those like, guys can't cruise around. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, I wasn't going to say anything of relevance. Like, I love cars. Like, man, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. I don't know. I'll, I'll go Somebody and start go. off because I, because like to finish my earlier point, it's the hilarity of the unhinged rig, Riggs character in the station wagon at the beginning. Like, they're screaming at each other. They're like, he's making all these jokes and it kind of looks like, because you know, like Riggs has his moments where he's like 
super out of his mind. Yeah. And he's like hyped out of his mind in that car. Yeah. And they're in, but then they're in the station wagon and they're like, it's just, it's so absurd. But it, to me, like what I said earlier about those little dialogue moments, they didn't have to add, but they did. And they add so much. The station wagon is one of those little things. Like they didn't have to, they could have given a temptation. They could have given Murtaugh Corvette or some really sexy ass car, but they gave him a station wagon. I think it's yes. plus. That's a great point because he has a boat, right? He's a boat guy. They could have easily just been like, he's going through a midlife life crisis. His thing is his new car. And that could have been a whole thing. But they're like, nope, we're going to keep him true. He's an older crotchety guy. Boating is his thing. We're sticking him in a station wagon. I love that. It's a nice little plot thing. But you know, the, with the Lowry character, even though I'm sticking with Lethal Weapon 2, it is, it's reflective of, you know, who he is. He's rich, he's wealthy. And that was an interesting twist on the genre altogether to have one of them not necessarily be like a middle of the line, blue collar cop type of guy. What do you think, Drew? Yeah, I'll go. I think the, uh, you, you can go either way on this category for sure. Cause obviously what, what car is cooler? Obviously the Porsche and a little, another little rando that we didn't mention that Porsche is Michael Bay's. Oh yeah. The studio didn't want to provide them a Porsche. Bay's like, no, we have to have a sexy car. Fucking Michael Bay. So Michael Bay provided his own like six figure car for use in the movie. And I just thought that was awesome. However, I do like from a storytelling standpoint, I love that they were They kept the story grounded. It was, you know, just the the old beater station wagon. He was a family man. Like, I love that they kept that and didn't feel the need to overextend themselves. So I will, I will go Lethal Weapon 2. Love that. Phil Skis, close us out. Oh, man. I, I can't not go the Porsche here because if you have ever driven one, there is nothing like one of those. Is it like Like, my Camry? It's a lot like your Camry in that it is paid off. No, no. Um, no, man, like, <laughs> Porsche is a special vehicle, and I'm sure some some fucker on the internet will be like, it's actually pronounced Porsche, and it's like, whatever, dude, go beat off in the corner, fucking asshole. Probably drives a camera. Um, man, those are special cars. <laughs> There's nothing quite like them still to this day on the road. Nothing drives like those. Nothing sounds like those. Nothing feels like those. It is a vibe. It is the most impractical, pointless vehicle to have on the street, but they're just great. And so I just have to go to the Porsche. Like, I cannot not go to the Porsche. Except except Martin Lawrence was bitching about that car. My, one of the funniest scenes in that movie was when he's there How in the car. How do you spend $100,000 on a car no, no, not no, no, a cup holder? The car doesn't have cup holders. This is like a, a penis on wheels or something. Dude, what did that he call was it? Great. That whole yeah. line. Like, I can't he's a that. penis on wheels and we're the two balls. <laughs> that was yes. my original quote. Dude, I, couldn't, so I couldn't remember the actual quote, but that was so funny. Well, this category ended up having a lot more meaning than I anticipated because I totally forgot that about the, the, the with the Porsche. And, well, holy smokes four to three lethal weapon has put the bad boys that are, were they were verging on good boys they got to they got to medium boys they kind of got to the to decent boys but lethal weapon pulled it back down read it its rights and arrested it and put it back in the car and is officially in jail this was a great matchup this was one of the most fun ones we've done in a while drew went on a tangent with his with watching all these movies amazing i love that you brought all the expertise here totally took the load off me which i loved i'm raising my hand because i oh, have one bonus category it. it doesn't bonus. matter because we already Lethal Weapon wins. Bonus. Bonus category. Do it. Best MJ reference. And this is why this is important. I need to be reminded of which Okay, I, of I'll what lay it out. Were. I'll lay it out. So Lethal Weapon 2 comes out in the 80s. Lethal Weapon is known as an 80s thing, even though the last two came out in the mm. 90s. Bad Boys in the heart of the 90s, right? Different eras, kind of. Similar, you know, there's six years removed, but there's a Michael Jordan reference in both movies, which I think is awesome. Lethal Weapon in the when Danny Glover comes in to console his son, he closes the door, there's an MJ poster on his back door. I was like, yes. 
past that feel, like that roots, that movie in the era, which I loved. Fast forward at six years to Bad Boys in the basketball shooting scene, Joey Pants made made some comment like, "You're gonna retire like Michael Jordan or something, something yeah, along those lines." Right. Also references MJ in that tiny little window where he retired for the first of three times, and I just thought that was cool that both those movies shared like an adoration for MJ. Amazing. I don't know if that's a category or more just an observation, but no, I love that. I'd have to go actually Bad Boys on that one because I love the relevance of the retiring and the yeah. baseball thing. And it was more, it was, was more featured. The MJ poster was more of a throwaway nod yeah. to MJ, but that was such a big deal too when he retired. That was such a, I love that reference. And by the time the movie came out, he had already like, yeah, looped so back it around. dated it. It was like the quickest dated joke ever. Like by the time the movie even came out, he had unretired, so it didn't really play anymore. But the crowd probably like laughed and rolled their eyes. Yeah, I love that. What do you think, Phil? Oh, I mean, the, the retirement joke, I, I do remember that now that you mention it. The retire, I mean, it kind of depends on what you value. Is it like the joke about Michael Jordan retiring or is it like the subtle sliding in like to time the movie with the Michael Jordan poster? I, I think the joke about Michael Jordan was pretty solid. So we'll, give, we'll give Bad Boys half a point for that. Half a point. So Lethal Weapon wins four to three and a half. There you go. <laughs> no, I love that observation. I mean, you know, I'm always a sucker for a Michael reference. So Mikey J. Mikey. Well, this was one of the most fun podcasts we've we've done. And I mean, I, I feel like we probably should do some more buddy cop stuff because it is just so fun. But uh, thank you so much. It was four to three. Lethal Weapon 2 is a very close fought battle. A couple of great movies here. Uh, this podcast is is the shiny you-know-what, and we are the three balls. Uh, yep. This has been Kyle. <laughs> uh, this has been the, the Phil Ball. Phil Ball. Yep. Which ball are you? I'm the, I guess I'm the Drew Ball. He drew we the ball. The, they drew up into the scrote. I'm, not, I'm not Mike Lowry. I'm Drew. <laughs> we are the three balls dragging along the podcast. <laughs> Love y'all. Bye.